Let's stand together, and if you have a Bible, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And we are going to be reading verses 8 through 11. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that we get to come and, man, just have fun and lift our voices and sing and worship and we get to pray and we get to open your word and hear you speak to us and hear you encourage us and hear you teach us and lead us and guide us and grow us more and more into the image and likeness of your Son. So, Lord, we just pray that you just do that work, that our hearts and minds are open to that, and that you just, uh, we, and that we just really um, just see a lot of fruit come into our lives because of who you are and what you have done for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. tonight getting warmed up. So hey, I've really been looking forward uh, to this series. Um, and today, uh, you know, my family, if you guys know me, you know, you've been around a little bit and uh, music's kind of a thing, you know, with myself and with our family. And so to have this series, it's kind of, we're looking at uh, different Christmas carols and the gospel truth that's in them um, is really exciting to me. Um, you know, we have in my family, I know about you, uh, we have a number of Christmas time traditions. One of our Christmas traditions is that we have a special Christmas song every year. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, it's just a song we just hear on the radio that just kind of like just resonates with us or something like that, that we just, we play it a lot, we sing to it, we dance to it, we just have a lot of fun. Um, some examples have been, um, the, there's a men's acapella group called Straight No Chaser, and they have a really fun version of the 12 Days of Christmas. That was one of the Christmas songs that we did. Um, a number of years ago, we did a, uh, the, the song was, uh, I think it was from a Target commercial of all things, uh, but it was called Electronic Santa Claus, this kind of techno song, and every time it came on, my kids stood up and they started dancing the robot. It was really fun. And, uh, and then, like, even like the last year, if you were at Calvary Christmas last year, um, my family, we, we did this song called Building a Gingerbread House uh, about kids fighting and then making up and eating the gingerbread. And it was really fun. Those are some examples. Now, I can't quite remember uh, 
if it was our official song that year. Uh, but four years ago was our first Calvary Christmas when we were uh, coming to the church, and um, I was asked to play um, on, a, on a couple songs, and one of the songs um, that I played on just kind of gave me the, an earworm for that year. You guys know what an earworm is? An earworm is when you hear a song, you know, uh, or a line from a song, and you just can't get it out of your head. So I remember that, but I can't remember if it was the official Christmas song or not, but it was a really fun, jazzy version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, which, uh, which I really loved. It was really fun. And that's the carol that we're looking at today is God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. So I encourage you again, hey, come to Calvary Christmas tonight. Grab your friends, grab your family, grab your neighbors, grab the neighbor's dog, grab whoever you want and just come here. Have, it's going to be a great time, uh, great music, a lot of fun stuff. But let's talk about God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Um, there's a lot of unknown about this song, actually, of really like when it was really written. No one knows who wrote it, how old it really is. Um, but what we do see is that the lyrics of this song first showed up on something called a broadsheet. It was just, you know, lyrics of songs and poems. And it showed up in the year 1760 uh, was the first time that we saw the lyrics. And then the melody was first published in the year 1829. Now, uh, it's deeply embedded, I think, where the song, the feel of the song, like the, even the version that we heard a little bit this morning, um, is very embedded in the British Victorian era, you know, Queen Victoria. And we, we see this because it's pretty featured uh, a couple times in Charles Dickens' um, story, uh, A Christmas Carol, right, with Ebenezer Scrooge and Bah Humbug and all that sort of thing. So that, that really illustrates the time period that, was, that it was in, and it's a very beloved song, uh, really tons of versions out there with some very deep truth in it that we get to dive into today. So the song calls back to the appearance of the angels to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 as they are proclaiming the birth of Christ, the angels to the shepherds. Now, there is an important prelude to the proclamation. The prelude to the proclamation is when the angels say, fear not. Everybody say that with me. Fear not. Okay? Now, which is a pretty common thing that we see in the Bible when an angel shows up to a human, right? Lot, there's a lot of like, oh my gosh, what is that? And then fear not. So I was thinking about this, and I want to ask you all a question. Have you ever felt small? Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt small? Sometimes we feel small when we are face-to-face -face with something in nature that's very grand, okay? Grand Canyon, um, a mountain, Niagara Falls, and suddenly we are before this majestic, huge thing that God did, and we realize we're about this big. Have you ever, ever felt that before? You know, um, or, e or sometimes even when you, uh, you, you come face to face with a person who's either famous or they're powerful or they're just large, right? You feel kind of small. Uh, quick story. When I was in college, 
probably around the year 1993. Now, I grew up around Chicago, and so I was with some friends one evening, and we went downtown, and it was late, and we went and stopped and got some food at a restaurant called Planet Hollywood. Now, I don't know if they're even around anymore, but these restaurants are all themed around, like, movies, and so they got set pieces and costumes and kind of just a fun it's a touristy thing. I mean, you pay like 20 bucks for nachos, right? So, um, but we're there and we're having a good time. Now, remember, the year's 1993. And it was, it was around, I don't know how late it was. It was maybe 10, 10.30 at night. I'm sitting there eating nachos that cost me $20. And suddenly through the door, some pretty big guys come in. And it was a few members of the Chicago Bulls. Now, keep in mind, this is 1993. The Bulls were a big deal back then, right? I mean, it was the middle of their dynasty, all that kind of stuff. And so they had a home game that evening, and a number of the players were there with their families. And they're just laughing and having a good time. They probably won because they always won. And they were, they were getting their food. And one player I remember in particular that was there was Will Perdue. Will Perdue, he was the center. He was not a good basketball player. He just stood there in the middle and clogged up the lane. That was his one job. Just do that, Phil Jackson said, and let Michael score. That was kind of his job. So, but Will Perdue is seven foot one. He's a big boy. I don't usually feel small around people. I'm kind of a big dude myself, right? I'm like, Okay, he's, he's up there. I mean, so we have these times where we are before things with size, with power, with strength, with glory, and when that faces us, awe and wonder and fear come over us. This is what happened with the shepherds when the angels showed up. So these angels, now I'm telling you, these are not the fat, chubby, cherub angels with a diaper, wings, and a harp. That's not who we're talking about. We are talking about warrior, majestic, glorious angels. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, in the Bible, this word for glory, one of the root meanings is weight this heaviness. And so these shepherds are seeing this and they're feeling this and they're like, oh no, we're goners. Fear, dread comes over them. Very similar to the scene that Pastor Mark talked about last week with Isaiah. You know, when he has this vision of the Lord and the glory of the Lord fill the temple, the train of his robe fill the temple and Isaiah says, whoa, Whoa, woe is me, because I'm a man with unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. We are in trouble. Kind of similar situation with the shepherds and the angels. Their smallness and their sinfulness were exposed to them. But the angels said to everybody, what did they say? Fear not. See, these angels were not sent to smite or to punish. Smite, that's a good Bible word. Smite, they weren't sent to smite or punish, but they were sent to proclaim good news. They're not here to bring about the bad news of our sin and the deserved judgment, 
but the good news that a solution for our sin and the opportunity to escape judgment is now here. And that's good news, isn't it? So the angels are saying, here's what they're saying. When they say fear not to these guys, to these shepherds, they're saying, boys, take it easy. Hey, it's okay. Settle down. Take a deep breath. They're saying, God rest, ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. That's what they're saying because unto us a Savior is born this day. Now, as we look at the lyric of the song, and that's a, man, that's a great, great start to a, song, to a Christmas song, isn't it? The next line, though, takes a pretty sobering turn. A little, little, a little dark reminder in this next line of the terrible mess and bondage that we are in. The next line says, to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Satan shows up in a Christmas carol. So who is he? Who's Satan? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, what kind of power does he have? What kind of power over us does he have? You know, um, another story when I was younger. Um, when I was younger, Saturday Night Live was actually funny. Um, <laughs> Dana, Dana Carvey had a recurring character on Saturday Night Live um, and this, with this show called The Church Lady. Okay, maybe you guys some remember The Church Lady where he, she whatever, um, blamed everything that was wrong in the world and with people on, can we all say it together like the church lady? Satan, right? Okay, so, um, so we see, you know, this popular culture thing of Satan, and, uh, you know, let's fast forward to today. Hey, Satan's back in the news this week, everybody. And it's just not local news, is it? It's been national news the, the Chicago, uh, the Satanic Temple in Chicago has placed a display, okay, um, at our state capitol just down the road, right in between a menorah and, and a nativity scene, okay? So, listen, um, he's on everybody's mind. People are talking about him. So, I think, you know, in God's grace and sovereignty, we get to expose him a little bit today. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack the lyric of this song so we can understand the impact of the truth of Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas. Now, how we're going to unpack this lyric, though, we're going to unpack it backwards. We're not going to look at it in order of to save us all from Satan's power and we were going to stray. We're going to start at the end and work our way forward. So the first thing we're going to look at is our condition. Our condition, meaning when we were gone astray. How did this happen? Where has this led us? The second thing we're going to look at is our enemy, okay, from Satan's power. Who is he and what is his power and what is his mode of operation? Then lastly, the third thing we will look at is our Savior. To save us all, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. You guys ready to jump in? All right. So let's talk about our condition. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We are a wandering people. We're a wandering people. 
We are looking for meaning, we're looking for value, we're looking for purpose and identity. Ever since our first parents sinned, Adam and Eve, in the garden and were forced out, we've been a wandering people. Do you ever get your hope for happiness set, built up on having a certain relationship? Maybe getting a certain gift this time of year? Maybe having a certain job with a certain salary? Uh, maybe going on a certain trip and having a certain experience? But whenever that thing happens that you've planned and built up and set your happiness on, when it happens suddenly, you feel yourself dealing with disappointment because it really wasn't that great as what you thought it would be. You know, kind of, or, or, or the, the happiness was fleeting and it suddenly was over. Or perhaps that certain thing didn't happen. It fell through. The person said no. And now you're dealing with rejection. Or maybe even you're feeling a little devastated because it didn't happen. Listen, we've all experienced this. This is very common to the human condition. And here's what it does. It proves one thing. It proves our wandering is what it proves. We seek fulfillment from experience, from knowledge, and possessions. We also feel, in addition to these things, that we have some type of spiritual experience because we are spiritual beings. But when left on our own in our wandering the spirituality comes out sideways, okay? And people start believing all kinds of things, doing all kinds of things because it helps them feel better. It's not the truth. There is a feeling there. You see, with no guidance to our wandering, we just get ourselves deeper and deeper in a mess. Now, I need to pause and kind of look forward to my second point for a moment here as it relates to this, about Satan and his power, an important truth to remember is Satan is not behind every single act of sin and evil in the world and your life. He's not. We do very well on our own without his help. I mean, seriously, I mean, that's the reality of it. We have a sin nature that naturally chooses our own way and rejects God's way. You know, choosing our own way does nothing but keep us wandering. Now, there are times where, you know, someone comes into our life, we hear something, and we begin to meander, maybe back towards God's way. And then Satan and his legions come in and do that little whispering thing that they do. Just give us a little nudge. Oh, I'll go this way. Right? And then we're back to our ways of wandering again. You know, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, um, really says this well. It says, there's a way that seems right to man, but it only leads to what? Death. Okay? So, this wandering, this state of being astray is tiring, isn't it? It's exhausting. Uh, you know, we want and need rest and peace and wholeness. Rest and peace and wholeness. You know what the Bible calls this? 
The Bible calls this shalom. Shalom, God's peace. It's not just the absence of conflict, but this idea of wholeness. We will only find this rest from our wandering, though, in a person, in a perfect person, in a relationship with the one who came to make us whole and show us the way, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus himself says in Matthew, 28, uh, Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, come to me. Come to me. You hear that he's inviting you into relationship. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? You see, only a saving relationship with Jesus will give us the rest we truly need. But there is an enemy who makes it his sole purpose to keep us from that relationship. So let's talk about it, all right? Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, talks about our enemy. It says this, John writes, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, reminding us of Genesis chapter 3, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to, to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Satan and the devil are both names and descriptions of our enemy. They're both names and descriptions of our enemy. Satan literally means adversary or accuser, meaning he's actively working against God, actively working against you and me. He's an adversary and accuser. Devil literally means slanderer or liar. Slanderer or liar. He's got always something bad and untrue to say. So, everybody, Satan is real. If you're one of those people that wonder about this, Satan is real. The Bible tells us so. Demons, his fallen angels, are real. Jesus describes him as a murderer and a liar. Peter calls him a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But can I tell you this? He is not equal to God. In no way is he, is he equal to the Father, the Son, the Spirit. He is not equal to them. He is a created being who fell from heaven because of his desire to have God's throne. So, what power does Satan have? Let me put it simply. In one word, limited. He has limited power. Now, it's limited, but it's great. He does have great power. We should not take him lightly. We can't afford to ignore him. We can't. I mean, part of the reason we're in the mess that we're in with this world is because people ignore him. 
he's gotten them to believe that he's really not there. I mean, that's part of the problem. But, I mean, listen, the Bible describes him being able to do some things that we need to be, we need to take seriously, okay? He apparently can have some influence over nature. Uh, when we read the story of Job, right, I mean, he made some things in nature happen that wiped out Job's family and his possessions and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians that he can perform signs and wonders. He can pull some kind of miracle off that's going to deceive a lot of people. Uh, he has, uh, I'm not sure about how all this works to tell you the truth, but he has some ability to either create visions or transport people places. We look at, here's why we know this, we look at Jesus' temptation in the desert in Matthew 4. And it says, and the devil took him to a high place, showed him all the king, kingdoms of the world. Somehow he did that with Jesus, Bible tells us. Um, and the Bible also tells us, like with Judas, the devil can possess somebody. Okay, I mean, so listen, I mean, we need to take him seriously. But let me tell you this. Nothing Satan does happens outside of God's sovereignty and control. He may be a prince of the power of the air, but he is not king. He is the enemy, but we need not fear him if we are in Christ. His defeat has been secured by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross at Calvary. Colossians chapter 2 talks about this. Paul writes about Jesus that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Talking about the spiritual rulers and authorities, the evil spiritual rulers and authorities. He disarmed them and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus won this war already, everybody. Man, that's good news. But listen, let's talk about his power a little bit more because we need to understand where his strongest power lies in our everyday lives. This is where it gets real here. His strongest power lies in his unmatched ability to deceive and to distort the truth, which then leads us to temptation to sin. That's what he does. Let's talk about his deception and his distortion. So he first deceives us by lying to us about God. These are some lies that the enemy tells us about God. He tells us that God isn't good. Because he tells us, he gets us thinking that God's keeping things from us. He's actually a cruel God. He tells us that God isn't good. He tells us that God doesn't love us. He tells us that lie. Bad things are happening to you. God doesn't love you. He tells us that God doesn't exist. How can he exists, exist if the world and your life is so messed up? These are lies he tells us. You know, he also, he also deceives us by lying to us about ourselves. He lies about God, and he lies to us about us. He tells us that we don't matter. 
The Bible tells us that even the number of hairs on your head are known by God. That sounds like you matter. He tells us that we have no value. The Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. We have inherent value. He tells us that we aren't worthy of love. The Bible tells us that Jesus came and died for us because he loved us. He tells us that our sin is too great to be forgiven. The Bible tells us that God's grace is greater still. He tells us that our faith isn't real. The Bible tells us it's not our doubts that keep us from from him and out of heaven. It's our rejection of him. God is with you in your doubts and walking you through them. These are the lies. This is the deception that Satan tells us about God and about ourselves. Now, he also distorts God's truth. He knows this book much better than you or I do, to tell you the truth. So what he does by distorting the truth, he twists God's word. We look in Genesis chapter 3 when he came in the form of a serpent to Eve, and he says, did God really say, really, you're going to die if you eat that? Twists it. You know, oh, he, he also subtracts from God's word. You know, think about Jesus' temptation by Satan in, in the desert. And in Matthew 4, in the second temptation, when the first one didn't work, he came back and Satan tried to use God's word against God's word. Crazy. But he ripped a verse out of context about what it meant without the whole truth, without the whole counsel of Scripture. So he subtracted from God's word that way. He also adds to God's word is the way he distorts. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. means he looks the part. He even may sound the part. Okay? You know, it's, it's, listen, let me tell you something. Christianity is never Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus looking this way, Jesus plus talking this way, Jesus plus doing these things. It's not Jesus plus religion. It's just Jesus. And as you grow in your relationship with Jesus and the Spirit works in your life, then your life begins to look differently as an outflow and response of gratitude and worship. Not to show that you're good enough to be saved or to impress somebody else. That's a lie from the devil. And this last one is actually more of a detraction um, than a distortion, but it's stealing God's word. Jesus told a, pa- told a parable in Matthew chapter 13, a famous parable on the soils, right? Four types of soils. And the sower was sowing seeds. And the seed, he tells us, represented God's word. And the seed that fell on the hard path never stood a chance because birds came and ate it. And Jesus said, yeah, those birds are the devil and his his workers taking God's word away from people. So he steals God's word from us. He is a formidable enemy. 
whose schemes have plagued humanity since the garden. And some of you right now feel pretty beat up by him. He's been working, him and his legions have been working overtime on you. And you're tired. And you're despairing. And you're struggling with hopelessness and being overwhelmed. And I'm sorry about that. It's real. But let me tell you this. Because this is what we have in our back pocket. We have 1 John 4.4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? Greater is he. Greater is Jesus that is in you and me than he, the enemy that's in the world, actively working against us. Let's talk about he then. Let's talk about greater is he. Let's talk about Jesus, our Savior. Listen, there's so much static in our lives. There's so much deception. There's so much distortion coming from our own wandering, coming from the world, coming from the enemy. And listen, you've heard enough of my words today in funny stories. Let me just read to you a few verses from the truth of God's word so you can hear about the saving work and power of a loving God. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And when did he appear? That first Christmas night in Bethlehem. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Paul is recalling his call from Jesus. And he says this. Jesus said to Paul, uh, you're going to you're going to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you need to turn toward God today and receive forgiveness that's waiting for you as a gift? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save us to the uttermost. Man, I'm going to read that again. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. Listen, God's love and grace are bigger than your biggest sin. And he, Jesus, is making intercession for you and me right now. Satan is up there accusing us. Ah, they don't love you. They take you for granted. They really don't have faith in you. Jesus elbowing this guy out of the way saying, no, I died for that one. I died for him. I died for her. I was there when they walked down that aisle and raised that hand. I was there in their car when they cried out to me. I was there in their bedroom when they were weeping on their knees at their bed. And they put their faith in me. And they trusted me. And I welcomed them in. Father, they're yours because of me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore... 
the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, the incarnation. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. He, does, he died the death we should have died. And by doing so, he emptied the power of death and offers us eternal life with him. And then Luke, chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for everyone who has gone astray, which is everyone. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you struggle with often feeling discouraged? Do you struggle with often feeling despairing, confused, hopeless, disillusioned, disappointed? Are you constantly battling temptation to sin and you just feel stuck in your doubts? These can be, they can be symptoms of Satan's power of deception and distortion in your life. They, they could be that. And I was reminded after the first service today that, you know, we talked about it's not Jesus plus, but oftentimes it's Jesus with. It's Jesus with his people. It's Jesus with a trusted counselor. It's Jesus with someone to pray for you, to work through those things. You're going to have an opportunity to do some Jesus with in just a minute here. If you're not a Christian today, you need to understand the enemy wants you destroyed. If you are a Christian, you need to understand the enemy wants your witness destroyed. But the good news is that Jesus has come. Our Savior has been born, he has lived, and he has died, and he has rose again and defeated the enemy. And you can find rest from your wandering. And you can be saved from Satan's power. All because of the baby born in Bethlehem. If you're on our prayer teams, I'm going to ask you to please come forward, prayer team. And listen, some of you need to do Jesus with. You're battling temptation, deception, distortion, lies. You need someone to battle with you. Come, get prayer today. Prayer changes things. It starts the ball rolling towards Jesus. Some of you need to turn from death and you need to turn to God. And you need to give your life to Christ and receive that gift of forgiveness and his victory over the enemy. Let's stand together and let me read this final thing to you as we close. And then I would encourage you, implore you to come down. Let me just say this to all the wanderers in the room who are fighting Satan's power. 
God rest, ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we have gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. May comfort and joy be yours today. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for his victory over the enemy. Thank you for the promise of comfort and joy that's only found in you. And we pray this and celebrate this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come forward. Let's pray. Dan's going to lead us in a closing song.